Hey guys, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So chapter 23 continues with Surah Yasin, which is known as the heart of the Quran. The Surah reminds us that the Quran was sent to wake people up, but there are some people who are just so stubborn that they just don't care. You know, like in the morning, the sun is out, birds are chirping, your alarm is going off, you know that you need to wake up, but you purposely hit the snooze button. This is the same thing that people are doing with Islam and the Quran. They aren't taking this alarm seriously at all. People are so busy living in their own la-la land, busy focusing on school or their job, their popularity or whatever, that they don't want to think about Islam or the Quran at all. They're having fun with their lives, enjoying being carefree, so they avoid thinking about Islam because they know it will make them feel guilty. Those people might say that they fear Allah, but if they actually did, then they would obey Allah. Allah warns those people, don't think you're going to get away with it. Some people think that, okay, at least I'm Muslim. I might not pray, but at least I don't drink or eat pork. I'm still a better person than other people. Allah will forgive me. No, you can't think like that. You're basically abusing Allah's love and mercy. And on the day of judgment, Allah will ask you, why did you decide to ignore Allah? Allah then tells us a story of how a specific city was sent two messengers. The Quran didn't mention which city or who the prophets were. All it says is that the people rejected both prophets that Allah sent to them. So then Allah sent a third and last prophet to that city. And again, the people rejected the message and the messenger. They used the same excuse all the other people would use. Why should we follow you? You're just a human being just like us. You're nothing special. How can a messenger of God be a regular human being? The last messenger sent to that city explained to the people that, listen, the messenger's job is only to tell people the message. Their job is not to force anyone to listen because the prophets will not be responsible for the people who reject the message. And of course, the people of the city cursed the messenger. They told him, leave this city. You are such a bad luck for our city. Ever since you've come, bad things have been happening. Allah explains that no person can bring bad luck. Actually, there is no such thing as bad luck at all. Whatever bad fortune or bad thing that happens to a person, it's because of their own actions that causes all the bad things in their lives. A person cannot bring you bad luck to you. For example, you get robbed or sometimes you make a new friend who ruins your life. Yes, technically that person did the bad thing, but that bad thing only happened because of your own actions. Whatever bad things that happened to you is because you did something to deserve it. Hindus basically kind of refer to this as karma. So as the story continues, a random man came running from the other side of town saying, Oh my people, listen to what these messengers are saying. They aren't asking for anything in return. They're just trying to help us. The people got annoyed, so they just killed him. But Allah loved that man's deed so much that he immediately entered him into Jannah. Tell me, you'd think a man who was just killed would be angry at his people, right? Instead, he felt bad for them. He told Allah, oh man, if only these people knew how amazing Allah was and how Allah rewarded me with Jannah for my action. So why is Allah telling us this story? Allah is using the story as an example to show the disbelievers during the Prophet Muhammad's time that look, the Prophet peace be upon him and his companions do not hate you. They just want what's best for you. That even though you disbelievers treat the Muslims very badly, they still wish well for you. They don't have a problem with you. They just have a problem with your actions and mistakes. I'm sure you've all heard, right? Hate the sin, not the sinner. This is exactly that. We as humans always end up judging and hating people for their sins. For example, if a Muslim drinks or does drugs, we judge them and we end up pushing them even farther away from Islam. How do you expect them to learn and understand if we push the sinners away and embarrass them? So this is also a lesson for us. Never treat anyone who sins badly. Always show them love and compassion. So as the story continues, Allah didn't send a fourth prophet to that city. All it took was one shout, one single blast and poof, silence. They were all erased. Not even a single trace of that civilization was left. 
Allah was trying to make a point to the disbelievers that, look, these people were just as stubborn and arrogant as you people, and look what happened to them. Every nation that rejected the message was erased. So do not make the same mistake. Proof. Everyone always asks for proof. Science has such a detailed explanation of how life exists on the planet, how gravity, the Big Bang, and evolution made everything today. Science says there is an explanation for everything, but Allah says, think about it. Even scientists can admit that the creation of this entire universe is too perfect for it to be just an accident. Even they admit that if the Big Bang's timing was even off by a micro, 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 microsecond, then the universe wouldn't even exist. Or that if the sun was even a millimeter closer to Earth, that there's no way life could exist. So Allah says, look around you. See how perfectly I designed this universe. Look at the other stars and planets and see how they orbit, how they float without ever crashing into each other. Allah mentions how Allah has created everything in pairs. The sun, the moon, a perfect example of divine design. Can you imagine the sun being out 24-7? When would we sleep? Do you even realize how much we as people and the earth itself depends on the moon? Do a quick Google search. Why do we need the moon? What's another example of a pair? Male and female, which is required for procreation. Allah says, everything humans have learned, all the skills that they have, they wouldn't even have any of those skills if Allah didn't provide the materials, tools, or knowledge. Allah mentions Prophet Noah's Ark and how that was the first time a boat was created. And if Allah hadn't taught Prophet Noah how to build it, everyone would have died in that flood. Fast forward, look at how that idea that Allah gave us back then turned out now. We have ships, yachts, submarines. Allah tells us that the true believer will pay attention to what's before them and what's after them. Meaning, a true believer is always looking to learn a lesson from the past, what's happening around them, and if something else is happening even across the world, they reflect and appreciate Allah even more. Meaning that they see something bad is going on in China or like an earthquake in Africa, and they're always thinking that what is Allah's message behind this? So back to the disbelievers during the Prophet Muhammad's time, Allah mentions that when Allah commanded the believers to spend in the way of Allah, meaning feed the poor, the disbelievers would tell the Prophet, why should we feed him? Why wouldn't your almighty God just feed him himself? The answer to this question is that Allah specifically tested some people with less and some people with more to see if they will do the right thing. Allah didn't give us all these blessings so that we keep them to ourselves. No, Allah gave us the wealth, knowledge, and skills that we have so that we can take care of Allah's other creations. Then the disbelievers taunt again. You keep trying to scare us with this day of judgment. So when is it going to happen, huh? Allah warns that even though these people are joking about the Day of Judgment, they have no idea what they're asking for. These people will be busy with their lives when the trumpet will be blown and everything will end in an instance. No going back. Nothing. The Prophet Muhammad said that the angel that was given this task to blow the trumpet on the Day of Judgment is literally waiting with the horn on its mouth waiting for Allah's command. This is to show you that the Day of Judgment can literally happen at any moment. So don't wait to change. Don't wait till you're older to become a better Muslim, to start wearing hijab, or to stop drinking or going to the club. Allah says that on the Day of Judgment, everyone will be brought back to life. There will be a select group of Muslim people who won't even have to wait for the Day of Judgment. They will go straight to Jannah. Everyone else will have to wait for their turn. This is when everyone will be grouped with the religion that they believed in. And one by one, Allah will ask every person, Who did you worship? Why did you reject Islam? Why did you listen to shaitan after all the warnings that I sent? On the Day of Judgment, our mouths will be sealed, but our body parts will speak. 
our eyes, our hands will speak up and tell Allah every good and bad thing we did with them. I'm sure you've all seen videos and pictures of people who are born blind or who don't have hands or feet, some that are even paralyzed. Do you understand how easily Allah could have done that to us? Can you imagine yourself living blind or without hands or legs? It's a scary thought, isn't it? And then what do we do with these blessings Allah has given us? What bad things do we watch? What bad places do we go? What bad things do we say? We might have working body parts right now, but within a second, we could be in an accident and we might lose our legs or eyesight. Then what? So once again, Allah says, wake up. Stop being so arrogant and avoiding the truth. Stop taking advantage of Allah's mercy and love. Do not wait till it's too late. So this is where Surah Yasin ends and the chapter continues with Surah as safat This Surah starts off with an oath. To the angels lined up in rows, to the angels that move the clouds and to the angels that recite the Quran, there is only one God that controls the entire universe and that one God is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah alone deserves to be worshipped. Allah mentions the angels lining up in rows and that relates to how we pray as well. The Prophet Muhammad told the Sahaba, the angels stand in rows, so why don't you do the same? So when we pray in Jama'at, we hear the Imam say, straighten your lines, don't leave any gaps. This is exactly how the angels prayed too. Allah then describes how Allah decorated the sky with stars. Allah could have left it empty, but Allah decorated the entire sky with stars that also protect against every rebellious devil. This basically means that the stars aren't just pretty things to look at. They are used to keep the jinns from entering Jannah. Allah tells us how sometimes jinns might fly up and try to eavesdrop on Jannah and to listen in on the conversations between Allah and the angels to get some information. So what does Allah do? Those jinns are shot down with piercing flames. Basically, the meteorites and shooting stars that you see. Fortune telling, psychic palm readings, going to saints, beers, babas to know about the future or to know who is doing magic on you is done through jinns who fly up to Jannah and try to get that information about the future. That is how it's done. And whatever information they bring down is twisted just so it causes more chaos and problems. That is why Allah shoots down those jinns and why it's absolutely haram to go to these types of people to get this type of information. So this surah continues to talk about resurrection, bringing everyone back to life on the day of judgment. And of course, the disbelievers would say, that's impossible. How will dead people come back to life? Which Allah's response is, you think bringing people back to life is impossible? Allah created the earth and the universe, and Allah created humans from sticky clay. So if Allah can do all those things, then Allah can definitely bring the dead back to life. And when Allah does bring you back to life on the day of judgment, then you will finally believe it. But by then, it will be too late. On the Day of Judgment, Allah will tell the angels to gather everyone and the gods they worshipped and they will all be questioned. The people going to hell will look at their leaders and priests and ask them, You did this. I believed in what you said and I followed you and look where we are going now. And those leaders will say, Don't blame me. We didn't force you. But no excuse will work. Both will be punished equally. Allah tells us while the disbelievers will be punished in hell, the true believers will be enjoying in Jannah. Allah describes it as people will be sitting in a beautiful garden of bliss on soft couches facing each other. And there will be white, sparkling, delicious wine that will be passed around to them. Yes, wine. However, Allah says that this wine will not cause harm to the body, nor will it make them drunk. Allah then tells us that people in Jannah will be curious about someone that they knew and where they are right now, someone who used to laugh at them for being Muslim. And Allah will say, do you want to see where they are right now? And that person will literally just bend down, look down, and see that person being tormented in hell. And then that person realizes that he could have easily been in that same position down there if he had let that person influence him. 
Now think about our lives and the people we hang out with. Are they good influences? Do they bring us closer to Islam or do they push us away? So be careful who you surround yourself with. Allah then describes how the people in hell will live. They will be burning and tortured. When they get hungry, they will eat fruits from the tree of Zakum, a tree which is said to be so bitter that if a single drop were to land on earth, the entire earth would become bitter. The fruits on that tree would look like the devil's head. And after filling their stomach with this bitter fruit, they would be giving scorching boiling water to drink and then they'll be sent back to hell. A lot of these people in hell are there because they were just following their parents, their people, their culture, thinking that this was the religion. Even though messenger after messenger were sent, they never made the effort to even learn. This is something that many of us do today too. Many of us don't make the effort to truly learn Islam for themselves. They just know what their parents or society tells them. And over time, they end up mixing culture with religion. Because sometimes we think, oh, this is part of Islam, when sometimes it's actually not. This is just part of culture, but we don't know our religion, so we think it's part of Islam and we end up following it. Allah then tells us about the power of making dua with a pure heart. How Prophet Noah made sincere dua to Allah about his people not listening, and so Allah saved Prophet Noah and the people who followed him and drowned the rest. Then Allah references Prophet Ibrahim's dua and how after he cut up his village's statues, his people threw him in a blazing fire. And upon making sincere dua, Allah said, O fire, become cool and safe. Or the time Prophet Ibrahim made a sincere dua for a righteous son and Allah granted him a baby boy. But take note that Prophet Ibrahim didn't get a child right away. Allah gave him the baby after many, 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 many years. So what should this show us? That Allah always accept your du'as, but it is up to him when Allah gives, how Allah gives, and how much Allah gives. Prophet Ibrahim had patience for his du'a to be answered. We also need to be patient. When we make du'a, make it with passion. You want something from Allah? Then ask with seriousness. Don't lose hope if your du'a isn't answered right away. Allah then continues the story of Prophet Ibrahim and how he saw in a dream that Allah commanded him to sacrifice his son the same son that he had waited years for. What did Prophet Ibrahim do? He asked his son, what do you think? To which the son responded, well, if this is what Allah has commanded you, then this is Allah's will. Prophet Ibrahim obviously had no choice, but he still spoke to his son about it. Not that he was going to change his mind, but just out of love and respect to his son. This is an important lesson for parents as well. Many times we just command our children what to do. That's the relationship we have with them. We tell them to do something and that's it. We don't explain ourselves or talk to them. And you know what happens after? The kids start to resent their parents. They become rebellious. So the relationship between Prophet Ibrahim and his son is the type of relationship parents should have with their kids. This doesn't mean that you let them do haram stuff and don't say anything. No, you talk to them and explain to them what's wrong and right. And so continuing Prophet Ibrahim's story, as Prophet Ibrahim is about to sacrifice his son, Allah sends down a sheep to replace his son. Prophet Ibrahim basically passed the test. Obviously, this was a huge test. Can you imagine sacrificing your own blood after waiting years of making dua for a son? But Prophet Ibrahim did it. How about us? Obviously, we aren't commanded to sacrifice our children, but how easily do we sacrifice what we want and this world for Allah? We whine about giving up non-halal food. We get annoyed over not being able to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. We can't even give up five minutes to pray tahajjud, and yet we expect Allah to answer all of our duas? How fair is that? Another famous example of a powerful dua is when Prophet Yunus was trapped in the belly of a whale. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min A great dua to recite to get through any hardship. 
So this is where Surah As-Safat ends, and Surah Sa'd begins as we continue chapter 23. So this surah talks about the issues the Prophet Muhammad had while spreading Islam to the disbelievers. At first, the disbelievers were arrogant. They didn't understand who this new man was telling them that they were wrong. They accused the Prophet Muhammad of being a madman. And they would say, why did Allah choose this random man? Why not anyone else? To which Allah replied, do you also decide when it rains? No, Allah can decide who to give prophethood and knowledge to. The disbelievers were still in denial, to which Allah said, did you forget all the kings and powerful nations that were destroyed? You people will have the same exact fate if you don't change. Allah told the Prophet peace be upon him to just be patient and nice and don't mind what these people say. Allah then reminds the Prophet peace be upon him about Prophet Dawood, Prophet David, and how before he was a prophet, he was just a normal person serving in the army of a king. And then Allah gave him prophethood, knowledge and great strength. A perfect example that Allah can give prophethood to anyone. Not only that, but Allah also granted Prophet Dawood great wisdom in being a judge. So as Prophet Dawood's story continues, two brothers jumped over his palace to get advice on an issue. Brother one said that, brother two has 99 sheep and he is tricking me into giving him my sheep. Without listening to the other side, the Prophet said, yes, this is true. You have wronged your brother for trying to trick him. That this is common that friends and family take advantage of each other, which is wrong. And so the matter was settled. But after the brothers left, the Prophet immediately went into sajda asking Allah for, for his forgiveness. But why? Because this case reminded him of another case where he made a mistake. In this case, he didn't hear the other brother out. He just assumed that, okay, brother number two is silent, that must mean that he's guilty, which could have been wrong. Interesting, right? Allah gives us this example of someone who has great wisdom making a mistake and yet still being humble enough to ask for forgiveness and admit that he was wrong. The other point is to show how the heart of a righteous good Muslim is. Someone who is reminded of a mistake that they made long time ago and that they're still asking for forgiveness. Allah reminds us that He didn't create this world just for fun. Many people think this world is our playground. There are no rules and you can do whatever you want. No, no, no. This world was specifically designed as a test. And if you fail this test, there will be consequences. And people don't realize that Allah gave us the study guide with all the answers for this exam and yet we don't use it. We will cry and whine to Allah that we need help, but we are too stubborn to open the Quran and learn from the answers Allah has already given to us. Can you imagine telling your professor in the middle of an exam, teacher, please help me, I don't get this. Here Ion, here are all the answers on this paper. No teacher, I just want you to give me the answers. Just take the test for me and give me an A. <laughs> Do you see how stupid and silly that sounds? Our job isn't to just read the Quran. We need to understand it as well. But that's not enough either. We need to reflect on it. Most of us who are following this Tafsir series have understood most of the summaries. But have you reflected on it? Have you related this to your life or made any changes? The Quran then goes back to giving another example of how powerful a dua can be. Allah talks about Prophet Ayyub and how he was blessed with a huge farm, wealth, cattle, and a beautiful family. Prophet Ayyub was tested with a lot and he would always remain patient and thankful to Allah. Shaitan was like, he is only thankful because of all the blessings you've given him. I bet if you took everything away, he would lose faith in you. So Allah was like, you think so? Let's see. So one day thieves came and killed all his servants and stole his cattle and Prophet Ayyub wasn't sad at all and just thanked Allah. Another day, the roof of his house fell, killing most of his family. And you'd think, now he would break, right? No, he didn't. Again, he said, Alhamdulillah. He said, 
my possessions and my children were all a gift from Allah and they belonged to Allah. So it is Allah's right to take them back. Things got even worse and he became extremely sick to the point his skin was peeling off. He had ulcers and scabs all over his entire body with worms coming out. Yes, worms. And he's in a lot of pain. So what does Prophet Ayub do? He sees a worm fall off his scab, he picks it up and says, Alhamdulillah. He was praising Allah's creation. It got to a point where his wife got tired of him. She was upset that, how can you still have faith in such a God who has done this to you? She wished him death and left him. In fact, everyone left him. When it got too much, Prophet Ayyub made a very sincere and humble dua. Oh Allah, I am sick, but you are the most merciful. He technically didn't even ask for help. Even in that specific painful state, he was thankful to Allah. So Allah told him to stomp his foot on the ground he was sitting and to wash and drink the water that would gush through it. So he did, and he was cured. Allah returned all his blessings to him, granted him a family and much, much, much more. Allah literally made the clouds rain down gold and silver. Powerful, right? First of all, do you see how much the prophets are tested? They are prophets and yet they are tested so severely. They are close to Allah and you'd think that Allah would accept their duas right away, but Allah makes them wait. And to show that when Allah does answer his servants' duas, Allah gives way, way, way more than what we ask. So how patient are we when we make dua? How grateful and thankful are we when bad things happen to us and we have things taken away? This is the attitude we need to have. Sabr and shukr. Patience and gratitude. We cannot lose hope in Allah or get mad if we don't get what we want right away. Even if you've been waiting for years and years, Prophet Ayyub waited close to 18 years. Prophet Ibrahim was granted his first son when he was 86 years old. Allah knows when the best time is to give you what you want and Allah will always give you more than what you ask for. Second point, the solution to Prophet Ayyub's sickness was just water and it was right below him the entire time. Do you see the point Allah is trying to make? Sometimes when we are in trouble, we make dua and we think it's going to take some huge miracle to fix our problems. But sometimes the solution is very simple and it's right in front of us. So this is where Surah Sa'ad ends and the chapter continues with Surah Az-Zumar. So this surah begins by stating that this message is from Allah, the one true God and not the Prophet peace be upon him. And the reason why many surahs begin like this is to emphasize to the disbelievers that these are Allah's words and not the words of the Prophet peace be upon him. The next few ayahs talk about the disbelievers worshipping multiple gods because sometimes they would argue, well, we know Allah is our creator, but what about the God of food and water and weather? Other times they would argue, well, the only reason we pray to these small gods and saints and peers is because it brings us closer to God. Don't we see that today? We see some groups of Muslims worshipping prophets or saints or gurus because they feel closer to Allah and more spiritual. But Allah says, no, your worship should be to Allah alone. Those other people cannot hear your duas. The prophets, not the dead, no one, no one else can help you except Allah. So worship Allah alone. Otherwise, worshiping and making dua to these saints and peers is considered shirk. Allah makes it very clear that he has no partners, no son, nothing. Which as we know, Christians and Catholics believe that Jesus is the Son of God and also God Himself, which is kind of confusing. But Allah says Allah has no need for a son. He is the Creator. Everything belongs to Him. And that Prophet Isa is just another messenger. Allah rules over the entire universe alone. Allah is the one that wraps the day over night and night over day. 
He is the one that created us and our mother's wombs in threefold depths of darkness. Did you get that part? Threefold depths of darkness. What Allah is referring to is the three layers that the fetus is wrapped inside the stomach. The belly, the womb, and then the cowl, which is basically the amniotic sac, the thin membrane that surrounds the baby itself. SubhanAllah, right? And this was thousands of years before medicine and science knew anything about the details of the human body. Allah openly says that if you don't believe in Allah, then it doesn't make any difference to Allah. It won't change anything. Allah doesn't need us. We need Allah. And Allah mentions that He loves and appreciates when we are grateful. That is one of Allah's 99 names, the most appreciative. Allah is very, very appreciative of even the tiniest, tiniest deed that you do. Allah is appreciative of even the tiniest thought of a good deed. Allah then mentions, is the person who prays in the middle of the night the same as the person who sleeps all night? This is another reminder how powerful tahajjud prayer is. When you wake up from your precious sleep alone, only to have a private chat with your Creator during the time of the night when Allah comes down to answer the duas of His beloved servants. The Quran then states that it is very important to fear Allah. Hope and fear are both important for a true believer. Without fear, a person can easily take advantage of Allah's mercy, knowing that Allah will always forgive them. Allah ends this chapter by saying that the Quran is the ultimate book. It might be repetitive, but it is consistent. Things are repeated in order to emphasize a point. As well, you have to remember that the entire Quran wasn't revealed at once. So whenever a new surah was revealed after a few months, the same point would be made because over the course of time, people would forget. So this is where chapter 23 ends. Surah Al-Zumar will continue in chapter 24.